For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a white woman accused two people of color of trying to kidnap her kids in a story that went viral. Then the police charged her with filing a false report. We'll look into the special series from Imperfect Paradise, People versus Karen. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Karen Flynn. Hi, Karen. <laughs> Rebecca, you're not supposed to barbecue here. <laughs> hey, Kevin, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hi, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Let me ask you a question. Is there a male Karen? Is there like a term for Mm. a male Karen? Is it just like racist asshole or is it? <laughs> Toby, we don't get special names. <laughs> or, or like Jeff or something. <laughs> Chat. Isn't Chat? Is no, that Chat's a, an incel thing, right? That's true. So, it is Chat. Yeah. yeah. Karen, I don't uh, know. Maybe, maybe we can Chet, stick on Karen, that one. I don't know. Chat. Someone will email us. Yeah. Someone, yeah. If anyone out there knows what the the man Karen is uh, and then mm. what the non-binary Karen is, just please let us know because we need to know those terms. Yeah. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Monday's program. Yeah. What is coming up on Thursday's show? On Thursday, we're talking about the podcast from Wondry and it's called Ghost Story. Mm. I also hear, Kevin, that you have a correction to make about a previous podcast. This is this crazy. So, on the last podcast, we had a crime of the week and it was about a horse that got loose on a plane and everybody, you know, it sounded really funny and everybody, because all the media reports took it very lightly and said that the horse was not injured and we found out later that the horse actually had to be put down because the horse was seriously injured. None of the original reporting indicated anything like that. And of course, we wouldn't have tried to make fun of it if we knew anything really serious happened. What so, do you mean we? Look at it. I'm going <laughs> to hand to God. When I researched that, I even listened to 10 minutes of recordings from air traffic control. What? Yeah. Like, we, you know, I think I did pretty, I did, probably did more due diligence than abcnews.com. Mm. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just, it's it's horrible, and it reminds me, this happens almost all the time on These Are Their Stories, Yeah, where we would do, like, either, like, a rip from the headlines thing, or we would we would point to a, a, hey, it's that guy actor, and then, like, two weeks later, that actor, like, died of old age. Sometimes or, before the episode comes out. <laughs> you know, we called it the, uh, These Are Their Stories, Kiss of Death. Mm. Um, so, and anyway, I mean, I know... It just it was a sad incident and that um, it's unfortunate and, and, you know, we obviously wouldn't have done that if we had known the full details. So we're sorry for that. We'll have something funny this week, we think. Although I really can never Allegedly. promise that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say uh, it is very good of you to do your due diligence and issue a correction when it's necessary. I appreciate that. Some podcasts don't do that, yeah. as you know. By the way, the pilot said, the horse is in distress and... That was like the understatement of the year. Yeah. That was his pilot way of saying, we need a horse ambulance. 
Right, right. Well, Kevin, I'm really glad that you issued that correction, but uh, we actually have a thing to talk about where someone did not issue a correction of any kind. (laughs) (laughs) Great segue, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking about that all day. We're going into the business section right now? No. No, okay. No, we're going to talk about the podcast we're going to talk about. I think we should get to it. What do you think? Why don't you do it? Leading off, let's go ahead and drop that first clip. I definitely felt the heebie-jeebies. I didn't feel good, but I thought I was judging a book by its cover. Um... They were not, like, kind. That sounds bad. But they weren't, um, they weren't clean-cut individuals. Mommy influencer Katie Sorensen went viral with the story of a couple who attempted to kidnap her kids in a craft store. When Sadie and Eddie Martinez saw their photos in the news, they knew they'd been racially profiled and falsely accused in the latest so-called Karen incident. Every 30 seconds or so, I'm, I'm wanting to yell and, and scream and be like, you know, what the F are you talking about, lady? I mean, uh, I, I, I just I couldn't believe what was coming out of someone's mouth. When it became clear Katie had been spinning a yarn, police charged her with filing false reports. The criminal case turned into a litmus test on the online phenomenon of white women accusing people of color of criminal behavior for innocuous things. Did she make up the story to get clicks or did other factors contribute to her allegation? There was a lot of misinformation on social media at the time that had led a lot of women to start to believe that child sex trafficking was a way bigger issue than statistically we know it is, and especially stranger kidnapping of children. A short series from LAS Studios, Imperfect Paradise, People vs. Karen, looks into the backlash against one white woman's incrimination and the people who fought back against the racism and social media shaming. Reporter Emily Guerin also examines other things in the zeitgeist that may have led to her thinking her children were at risk. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Imperfect Paradise, People vs. Karen. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down. Reviews. Now, I want to explain something about the format of this podcast, Mm -hmm. because a couple of you have notes on the, um, you know, short episodes, the sort of way that it's laid out. So LAist and the uh, public radio station that has become LAist recently had layoffs of their podcasting teams. And LAist is one of a couple of public radio stations who have this new thinking around podcasting which I don't necessarily agree with the thinking altogether, but they're basically focusing on podcasts that only can go on their broadcast. So this series, Imperfect Paradise, which used to be sort of a home for these long-form serialized stories, is now home for stories that can also be played on the radio. And I think this podcast sounds like it. This is basically a series of short episodes that were also played on a series of, I think, like Sunday nights or something like that. So it doesn't have that sort of sound of this in-depth, long-form, you know, made-for-podcast-first storytelling. Right, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. And I actually had a meeting with the PR person that works with a couple of podcasts, including Imperfect Paradise, and she was explaining that sort of their programming ideas, they're, instead of doing like the 8 to 12 episode thing, they want to do a bunch of four-episode special things so we may not ever have i'm gonna say ever but we'd probably be a while before we see something like the sheriff or one of the other imperfect paradise like longer forms so they're going to be smaller and compact which is fine because there are a lot of different ways from telling the story and i actually think this story is like a 12 episode epic would be horrible 
But I think these sort of three and four episodes, I think it's enough to kind of tell the story well without stretching it out. I, I think so, too. I mean, I do think it does a service to the journalism to give it more space. I do think, however, though, that a place like the LAists might, I mean, they were making great long-form serialized stuff, mm-hmm. and it is a shame to sort of lose you know, that aspect of the work as well. But that they have. The eight so, episodes on QAnon and Karens would probably true, be a that stretch. This, this yeah. wouldn't be the story for that, yeah. right? But The Sheriff was the story for that. Sure, sure, sure. Right? So, Toby, what do you think about the format of this sort of shorter form serialized storytelling? And do you think it, do you think it serves this story well? Uh, yeah, I mean, I still think it's... <laughs> Maybe an episode too long, but uh, we can we can go and talk about that later. I, it's something I've had conversations with other people about, which is like, how can you make sort of regional stories interesting and compelling to like a national and international audience? And I, I think that's that's a challenge. And like this, I think, is a pretty good response to that challenge, which is to tell a story that's got sort of national you know, there's a lot of similar things happening nationally, uh, not necessarily always with this outcome, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's an interesting way of going about it. And uh, at least on the evidence of this, I think pretty promising. I'm glad that you found that out because it was one of the kind of head scratching things about this is that it does feel sort of underproduced. Like, it, you know, it's just very, very, very tight and there's very little of sort of like the scene setting and things like that, that we kind of get used to when, when people have more time to kind of let the stuff flow. And in this, it's just like bang, bang, bang. Right. So anyway, I, I think it's, it's, it's promising. Well, one of the things that I'll say that I think about too, is that when you're trying to strike that balance where you're only putting things in a podcast feed that you can also play on your local radio station is that. You also have to say things like explaining where and what Petaluma is, which your local audience actually knows, right? And then you also have to make choices like giving your podcast a, you know, an interesting and provocative title, which is a very good choice, like the People versus Karen is a very good title. But like a a newsroom might not give a feature story that title necessarily, although I think that this newsroom probably would because they're a really like forward thinking newsroom. But it it is, there's a lot of challenging questions there. Like how would a local audience feel about being told like where and what Petaluma is when they already know that. Like that's something that I found myself thinking when I was listening to this. All right. So let's talk about setting. Um, so Laura, we of course hear that this incident happened in a Michael's craft store and that that, that, that did not escape your notice. Why did that, why did that not escape your notice? Of course it took place in a Michael's craft store. That place is like any time of day, night, weekend, you go in Michael's craft. Like how many people here raise your hands? Oh my God, we need a thing for a school project. We got to go to Michael's craft store. It is like the (laughs) hangout for all overachieving parents around the world who need to go in and either get something for their kid to make something, or they're like, oh, I'm going to decorate my house and make it look like a gingerbread house. I'm just going to zip over to Michael's craft (laughs) store, which again, seems very Karen-y to me. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and get some overpriced framing on my family photos. <laughs> yes, I, I know. I've done a few and it takes forever when you want something framed there. But it's just like, I'm like Michael's Crafts. I'm like, I'm so glad those freaking days are over. I don't have to go there anymore. And, and I sometimes like, I know in this podcast, we're saying like Karen's are the people that are, you know, mostly white women making accusations or complaints about people of color. But I, I think of like, I guess my going into this Karen thought was like, People that are total pain in the asses. Like I think of like the lattes and pilates crowd, like 
the people that like don't have. I want to speak to your manager people. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I think it just is like the if you were like scene setting this, I think Michael's crafts, if I was writing a script for this story, would be the ideal setting. It is perfect. <laughs> it is perfect. Yes. It also, or Target. And I also think it's very interesting, like um, hearing, especially what Sadie was shopping for. You know, she's shopping for this thing that's like culturally important to her family, that they had to make this baby Jesus on Christmas. And we don't actually know what Katie was shopping for. I don't think we ever heard about whatever that was. But anyway, I do think it was an interesting scene setting moment also. The wee donkey. so one of the things that's interesting about this story toby is that it's not about video that somebody else caught right which is usually what these stories are about it's somebody else usually taking a video of someone's bad behavior yeah i'm not an expert on karen videos but the ones that flash by my twitter feed uh tend to be like some bystander catching some lady losing her mind about something (laughs) and just saying all kinds of ridiculous stuff and humiliating herself and in this one nobody's filming it as it's actually happening, except for the security cameras. But she then goes into her car either right then or later. Like a week I, later. It was a week later, yeah. but you couldn't tell from the video whether it was right then or not. And then kind of tells the story. First, they had taken two steps forward towards the stroller, then two steps back, then two steps forward, then two steps back. It made no sense. It was obvious what they were doing. Um, and that last time he reaches for the stroller. And so it's like even sort of more of a self-own in some ways is, you know, nobody was asking her to do this. There's no real reason to do this. But she she just kind of went ahead and felt like she had to tell the world. Yeah, so I that kind of struck me a little bit. Like, I don't know if that's something that happens a lot. It seems like sort of more of an Instagram thing, which I'm not on really. So I I wouldn't have necessarily seen it. I'm curious what you think is up with that, Kevin, because she went to the police immediately right after, right? Mm -hmm. And then... No, did she? No, she didn't. She went to the police immediately right after. She called the cops and they said, come on. And she went there and she gave an interview through her car window. Didn't the viral thing and then the cops were notified by other people? So there were three charges against her. And the first one was based on her going to the police department right after the incident happened. She went to this. So she she called the cops, called 911. And she was like, is there an emergency? She was like, sort of. I have a victim of kidnap. Then she drives to the police station. She gives an interview through the window, which is captured on the cop's body camera. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then nothing happens. And then so later, days later, she uploads this video to social media. And then later the cops come to her house when her story doesn't match the other people's story. So like she has many contacts with the cops. Do you think that she posted this video because she felt like her interaction with the police didn't give her enough attention? Like that's what I found myself uh, wondering. It could be. It could, I mean, her motivations are confusing. Murky. They're confusing. It's, it's you know, it's it's kind of an imperfect test case on like, the Karen backlash, you know, like the racial profiling aspect isn't like completely clear. It's not as clear as in like in some other cases. And her goal at first, you know, didn't seem to be harming this couple per se, um, you know, and forcing them to fall in line with the social interaction in the moment. Like, don't barbecue here and get your dog off the bramble and all that other bullshit. Where the criminal offense began is when she said the thing about reaching for the, the stroller. And that came much later to sweeten the thing. But, you know, I mean, 100% a Karen case, but it's just, it's weird because like, you know, Toby was saying that like these Karen incidents, usually the Karens are just so transparently irrational. That's what makes the story go viral. 
is you know the self-owning of the accuser and the losers like in the news stories later is always the Karens like what happens to them the follow-up they lost their job the backlash but you don't usually hear too much about how it affected the falsely accused person remember the bird watcher was somebody that people kept checking in with so the idea here is like let's look at it let's take both stories and follow them and you know really kind of try to explain this one situation here and what it says and it's interesting because it also involves other aspects of things such as the mommy influencer culture and the whole thing about QAnon and save the children and how that kind of is intertwined and maybe played some role in her motivations hmm. so I would say Lara that if Katie is going to pick a couple to perhaps, you know, decide I want some attention today or whatever, whatever reason it was that she decided to, you know, call the cops, make a big deal out of something that probably didn't happen. She 100 percent picked the wrong couple to do this to. I mean, is that a fair thing to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I think a lot of times, you know, you get a situation like this where you have a person of color being accused of something by a white woman or, you know, and, and there's this sort of privileged dynamic at play. I think that there could be a tendency to back up and be like, oh, no. And, and in this case, these people are like, hell no, we're not going to do this. And I think, you know, you get Sadie, who is basically like the community mother, the last type of person that would be kidnapping a child. This is like the mother we all know in our community, the mother who knows who all the kids are, their friends of their children the mom that gets the phone call when somebody doesn't have a ride, the one who gets phone calls from other kids. It's it's like the community mom. And also somebody that has the strength and wherewithal and conviction to be like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not putting up with this. And I think that was a really interesting perspective here because we usually don't hear from the person on the other side in this way when we get one of these situations. And I think it really brought a whole different level of perspective to like, how does something like this affect somebody? And what happens when people finally say enough is enough right. to this type of behavior? I mean, it did strike me that Sadie is somebody with, you know, she has some power in the community. Like she's an established member of the community. She and her husband have been there for a while. She was unafraid to speak up because of her, you know, sort of roots in the community. Also, by the way, I will say this did speak to like one latent fear I have something that would never happen to me, though, because I'm white is like the thing where you show up someplace looking like shit mm -hmm. and like and, and like the judgments that people make on you when you like show places like in your sweatpants or whatever, because she was talking about how she'd been in the hospital or whatever, taking care of her kid. And they just they looked like, you know, they they sure. kind of, and you always think about that. Right. But you don't think about you don't think it's going to lead to a white, white, privilege, yeah. white privilege is being able to show up somewhere looking like shit and having this not happen to you. Yeah, just right. People just think you look like shit. Exactly. But one thing that also struck me is that the cops believed her. And, and we hear all these stories all the time where the cops don't side with the person who has been profiled. And in this case, Sadie's like so strong that like they were okay with sort of casting down on Katie's story. Yeah, well, so it was so evident. I think, we, you know, when you look at the surveillance video, like, you know, did he reach for the stroller? No, he just threw his hands up in the air because he couldn't get Peking dumplings at 10 a.m. or whatever it was. Good for him. I love that guy because I certainly, you know. Eddie? Eddie, yeah. I mean, if you can testify and make everybody crack up, I mean, that's a sign of somebody who's like, you want him as a friend. You want him as a patron. And I'm saying, Eddie, 
<laughs> Join us on patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Eddie. Eddie, this is what you're going to get, right? At the, at the, um, the leading off level, you're going to get all sorts of exclusive podcasts, including the Crime Writers on After Show. This week, Laura Bricker is going to regale us with the story of her new appliances. And <laughs> for some reason, she needs to install the appliances. This isn't about the appliances. This is about Laura's attempt to become a handy person. Yeah. No. With high voltage, though. Stop. Okay, so we're just going to leave it there. <laughs> Obviously, she survived, but okay. Barely. 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 <laughs> barely survived. It would make a really great leave it to Bricker, but the next leave it to Bricker, by Bricker Scalers, you're getting this level, you get exclusively Laura's podcast. And the new one is Laura's planning her Hallmark Holiday romance movie. And she mm-hmm. she uh, got support from all of Rebecca's friends and, and my friends about what the plot should be. And my son, who and names son. the movie. And your daughter. So if you want, it's very, very funny. So that's what you got to listen to. Now, if you join us at the what, let's do what we do level, you get the episodes of Crime Writers on early and ad-free. And if you are a deep diver, you can watch Toby pre-record. Is it pre-recording? Just recording. Recording. Like and then before it comes out. You just record it. Toby uh, recording his uh, his book club podcast. Toby had a bunch of uh, Crime Writers on listeners join him to talk about a book that you all fucking hated. I loved it. Yeah, I again, I feel kind of bad because I usually try and pick books that people will enjoy reading because sure. that keeps them coming back. But yeah, it was called the man, the man who invented motion pictures. It wasn't super true crime. As a matter of fact, it was sort of this very detailed history of how you know motion pictures, like being able to take motion pictures, was invented. Uh, but we had a really good conversation about it. It, it was a little, I wasn't really sure, but just because I, I guess they probably had instances where they've spoken in front of people or whatever but uh man it was just they just jumped in and you know if somebody had said are these pros or not you would have just said yeah they're pros yeah yeah so it was, it was awesome uh and i may actually do it next season as well it went so well mm. that's great that's great you know the problem with the book toby marketing yes they marketed it as a true crime book and you yeah. got sucked in yes so, but i think the pro if they'd marketed it as what it really was they wouldn't have sold many books <laughs> i think okay and his first book is awesome like i feel bad because this guy's the author's name is paul fisher his first book is I loved, and then like the difference between the two is just it was a little. Second rough. book slump, man. It happens. Yeah, yeah, it does. But you get all that sorts of great stuff, and we're probably going to be doing a crime writers on Christmas holiday live thingy on Crowdcast. We're going to have we do this every year. Non-denominational holiday. Non-denominational holiday. holiday Festivus, whatever you want, we'll do it. Non-denominational, though, of course, Kevin. Right. Right, and... We're just going to be drinking yeah, and yeah. hanging out. Yeah, so you get all that great stuff. Join us at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And thus ends the business section. All right, Kevin, I'm going to go ahead and read that music out right now. Nice job. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. So, Toby, I have two questions for you. The first one is a brief one. Okay. Is it possible that Katie's kids are, in fact, as she says, so good-looking that they are, in fact, (laughs) targets of frequent kidnapping plots? (laughs) 
Uh, and then I guess are are you or your husband? I mean, like important people for some reason. Is there something they would be like? We're gonna take your kids and hold them to ransom. I or? might be by my kids are very good looking. I don't know. Oh, that's bizarre. Well, um, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and if she's a beholder, then the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my, my second question is, what is behind, I mean, I'm curious as to what you think is behind. I mean, you don't have to guess at her motivations, but like, there is this interesting thing where her stories to the cops actually keep escalating even as they are telling her that her story doesn't match what's on the actual videotape that they have looked at. I found that very strange. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of felt like some of the different ways she acted and, and this is the most sort of striking one sort of mirrors, like what she has to do on social media and that you can't continually be putting out the same stuff and have people, <laughs> oh. uh, you know, stay tuned so that, you know, she's in this, I, I, this is just speculation and it's probably wrong, but the way I thought about it was, is that she's used to just, you know, having to constantly augment things so that people will continue to like check her stuff out or and do whatever it is she wants them to do on the socials. So that kind of leaks into her into her life, right? So she's like, well, I'm just, I, you know, I'm not used to telling the same story again and again and again and again. So this time, this little thing or this little thing or that little thing. So is that true? I don't know. Uh, it, it would work well in a book, though, mm. uh, to to have it your sort of real life interaction sort of mirroring this social media marketing that you've sort of dedicated your, like at least part of your professional life to. Mm. Didn't it strike you, Laura, at the same time though, that she's making these false allegations, she's also like virtual signaling the hell out of it. Like when she's making the video, she's like, I don't want to scare anybody. That's not why I'm doing this. I just want to make people aware. And then when she's talking to the cops, she's like, I really feel uneasy that you're taking this so seriously, but he definitely 100% reached for my stroller. Like it's, it's such a strange combination of like, I'm a good person, but for sure, this is definitely what happened. Like, I just kept yeah. thinking like every time you would hear that her husband got on the phone and talked to the cops. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about her husband and I don't want to like, but I just kept thinking like, what the fuck must this guy think about what his wife is saying to the cops during all these conversations? Because the conversations were on their face in the recordings, just kind of bananas. They were kind of bananas. And I have to tell you, I kind of took a step back and kind of tried to look at this in like a bigger picture of like, okay. Here comes your defense investigator mode, I can tell. Well, yeah, it, it, but I'm also looking at it like, okay, here's a lady who clearly has some issues this is in the middle of the pandemic and I'm not excusing what she's doing, but I'm like thinking something isn't right here. Something isn't right with this lady's reaction. Something isn't right with what she thinks is happening that is not happening. Something is not right with the way that she's reporting this to the police, as you pointed out, Rebecca. And I'm thinking, you know, I think she was just in a mental place that was not particularly healthy. Clearly, if she whipped herself up into this frenzy over Something that was really nothing. But I'm also thinking, like, trying to think, okay, because I do feel, I did feel badly for, like, I mean, and this is just me because I've been in that situation where I've been sitting with, like, defendants' families, and you're there because they're, like, the pariahs, and it's their family member. And her mother, who's talking about using the father's life insurance to pay for the defense and everything, and there was clearly something bigger picture going on with kidnap Katie Karen that 
led her to have such a different perception of what was happening around her. I'm going on a little like Toby down the rabbit hole thing here, but like, think about it. We were all on our social media all the time during the pandemic. She's reading all this other shit on social media at this time. She thinks her kids are like the next Gerber babies. And you know, they're beautiful. She's seeing all these like save the children posts. She's hearing about kidnappings in her area like something just wasn't right there. I mean, and obviously, but it just, I kind of wanted to know a little bit more. And obviously she wasn't going to participate in this, but like, what was going on with this woman? I appreciate that they, and by they, I mean uh, the LA, Emily here, the uh, the reporter, that they did investigate this whole thing about the QAnon connection or, you know, at least the, you know, the save the children, that, that aspect of it, because a lot of people do sort of wind up getting sucked in and obsessed with the, child kidnapping aspect without even understanding that there's like this bigger political conspiracy thing that's wrapped around it because it's such a compelling idea like oh no children are being trafficked which is a horrible thing and it does happen but it's not happening at the mass rate that people are saying and it's not happening to the kids and not happening to the kids that, and it's not for the reason that, that people yeah. are taking the kids so they can have their life force drunk you know sucked out of them by pedophilic politicians and that's how they stay in power like that part like cuckoo for cocoa puffs but the fact that that's sort of in the zeitgeist and that she's already drinking that lemonade about mm-hmm. that that she's already primed for that particular accusation right you know i don't know why Boy, barbecue Becky got like all fucking bent out of shape. The <laughs> yes, people, you do. I, well, yes. Okay. <laughs> that particular, like, I don't fucking know if you need a permit to barbecue in there, but, but that wasn't the point, yeah, right? It was racist. she racially yeah. profiled yeah. those people. Now, I don't know if this were a white couple that went by them, whether she would accuse them or not. I can't say that, but I think she definitely would be thinking the same thing, that they're coming for my, my beautiful snowflake children here, because I think that, she was already primed for that. And could there also be a racial aspect to that accusation? I guess yes. you be the judge. I, I think there's absolutely. Sure. It is because she used, she used all this coded language. They yeah. weren't clean cut. They looked rough. And she was able to describe them to a T. And the first thing she said about him was he was wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. Like she was absolutely racially profiling them. A hundred percent she would not have thought a quote clean cut white couple was going for her kids. A hundred. She wouldn't have even been looking at them twice. Remember how Sadie said she doesn't see children because she has four children? Katie does not see white people. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And I, and I know I'm making a leap here, but I, I, I guarantee it. And the thing that also strikes me is that the podcast didn't explore this, and I think this is a flaw of it. They talked about how the prosecutor's case in court wasn't the racial profiling, but they based it on Katie's you know, MLM business and wanting to get a bigger audience and more clicks. Yeah, get it for the clicks. I don't know if it's the MLM business so much as the attention seeking of the audience growth because Katie saw that her fucking video went viral. So, of course, there's like motivation there to like keep this narrative going. And and there's also motivation there to not be humiliated. So when the cops come to her and say, hey, your video doesn't match whatever, like it just doesn't match Uh her instinct is not like all of ours would be to be like, fuck, let's unpublish that immediately. Let's go away for like a month with my husband on vacation and just like stop being online for a while and like really think about this. Her motivation is to double fucking down and be like, no, he actually reached for the stroller, a detail I didn't tell you before, something I forgot to tell you, which makes it even worse. Like that's attention seeking shit. 
in my opinion. It's just like interesting, like, and this, I was having like a childhood flashback as we were discussing this, because when I was a kid, and this this was attention seeking, not on my part, but it was on, um, you know, a parent's part of mine, there was this thing going around that children were getting kidnapped in airports and trafficked. Razor blades in the apples at Halloween. Like every time I flew, when I would go between my parents, because I would go visit my father or whatever. I had to have like an escort because they were like, you're going to go in the bathroom and someone's going to stick a needle of your arm. And the next thing you know, you're going to be in South America. And like, that was the story. In a bathtub with your organs missing. (laughs) Yeah, literally. And so for years I was like, oh my God, like who's going to, like, why would they kidnap me? Like, oh my God. Because you're very attractive. Yeah. Because you're a beautiful child. Yes. If, if you do say so myself. Oh, but my yeah. so, in the but, eye of the kidnapper. And notice, and notice your parents didn't say they're taking you to Iceland. They said they're taking you to South America. Notice that. That's like, what I'm saying. Exactly. It's always other. It's always brown people. It's like. No, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. So, Toby, let's talk about a little bit about how the podcast is made, because there is a challenge here where a reporter is not allowed to take a recording in the courtroom. And that's always a challenge, right? Because then there's nothing for us to hear. How do you think that worked out here? Because, you know, do you think the scenes were done well? Do you think that we got enough information coming in and out of the courtroom? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, she she does some um, voice memos from the hallway. And at one point, I think the jurors walk past and she has to stop and she goes and hides somewhere. So I get I mean, it just I didn't even really notice it that much. It just kind of felt like as part of a whole of the whole podcast, which seemed a little undercooked compared to a lot of the stuff we hear. So like not having that audio, it it just seemed like another, another thing that made it not quite as immersive or or whatever. Some of the other longer form stuff we listen to. What do you think, Kevin? Because that's a challenge, right? When you can't record the thing that you're actually reporting on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think she did a good job of still providing the color. Now, like one way to go be let's have actors, you know, uh, or something like, you know, do the transcript. I, I think that she actually, she made chicken salad out of chicken shit, as we like to say. No recording devices. I my my assumption is that that's the normal presumption of, of the the courtroom unless the press make their case so her running commentary on her phone i thought was, was good enough it was you know it brought that kind of we're here kind of color to, to it and it's funny because she just never shut off her phone she's always saying okay here comes the jury you know right? i go in the building now and that's why she stops recording so i thought there was definitely enough of that that you know it kept it from being a long drawn out 30 minutes of, of narration you know it, it broke it up nicely for me so we're on a 15 minute break from court right now um i'm just standing out in the hallway and um katie has just been on the witness stand hold on one second i have to stop talking when the jurors walk by and i the one part in that trial that I thought she did a really great job recreating was when Eddie was demonstrating how he was like putting his hands up because it was like this whole thing about he wanted Chinese food, but it was like 1030 in the morning and he can't get Chinese food and like da da da. So even though we weren't there to listen to that, I think actually summarizing it the way she did more succinctly kind of painted a picture that maybe wouldn't have been as easy to paint if we had just been listening to the direct testimony. So who among us has not wanted Chinese food at 1030 in the morning at some point? I mean, I'm thinking about Chinese food right now. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. 
On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Imperfect Paradise? People versus Karen. What do you think, Laura Bricker? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this short series from LAist? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go mild thumbs up with this. I think it was interesting in that we got a different perspective on one of these ongoing Karen stories. I didn't think the fourth episode in this was necessarily needed. I felt like it felt like it was tacked on as a bit of an afterthought. I think three episodes of this would have been fine with the information that was in the fourth episode. I don't think it's a big spoiler was more about the culture and climate of mom influencers. Like that could have very easily just been distributed in the rest of the episodes in a way that would have made sense. I thought it was really interesting. And I think it was good to hear from the perspective of somebody on the other side of a Karen accusation as we did in this case. And I think, yeah, it could have been done in a more traditional way, but for what it was and the goal, which was to release this, it sounds like from what Rebecca described on radio, as well as in podcast format to their local audience, I think they did a good job with that. And it's been in the news a lot lately, Ruby Frankel, the lady whose kids escaped the house. So there's a lot of interesting stuff out there about mom influencers. And I think this gave us a good sort of snapshot into one particular case. Tell you, Paul, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Imperfect Paradise, People versus Karen? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Laura just said. To me, it seems like a three-episode podcast with a bonus episode at the end because the sort of narrative arc is over by the end of the third episode. And then the fourth episode is kind of like enrichment stuff. And again, I think you could also have distributed it throughout the other three episodes. They probably thought it would sort of slow down the narrative momentum it had, which I, which I get. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's modest, you know? I mean, it's got a story, a a very sort of finite story. There's not a ton of twists and turns. There's like maybe one, but it it illustrates an issue that goes on and you often turns up in places where it's not actually being reported. You just sort of see a video of, of some, you know, quote unquote, Karen losing her mind in some, you know, store somewhere and that's what you get and you don't get any kind of reporting or contextualization or anything. It just sits there. And in this case, they take one of these incidents and it's not exactly like that for reasons we talked about earlier, but it does kind of take a look at like what's actually happening here. What's the impact on different people? How does it get resolved? And you never really get those from those videos you see. So, you know, it's a, it's a mild thumbs up, but it's a thumbs up. Kevin Flynn. I'm also going thumbs up. I feel like we spent a lot of time sort of talking about the format here of the four episodes. And even though it was short, I mean, we we had a, like a very robust discussion about this podcast. Uh, I agree with everybody that the fourth episode as an epilogue didn't quite fit. And I would have taken that information because the whole thing in the fourth episode is more about the mommy influencer stuff, which we didn't get. And I think it would have provided context to the prosecutions did it for the clicks thing because we didn't really get into that at the time that that was brought up in the trial coverage. So I would have flipped three and four or at least incorporated three into some other kind of thing. But I think it's appropriate size 
for the story that's here. Far too often, we have podcasts that have one great story or one great thought, and they stretch it out over 10 episodes and totally dilute it and bore us with a bunch of other stuff. And I think this is a good example of like you could take uh, an instance and you've got just enough reporting to fit the space. That's great. We're all published authors. No editor said, okay, I want another book and it's got to be 156 pages. You you write it till it's done, and then that's that. And I think that this is a way of sort of saying, okay, this is how much of a story we have. We're going to put it out like this. So I liked all of that. I thought that the others, you know, sort of looks into other issues around this particular case, not just the racial components, which have been very well documented, that sometimes there are other things in addition to that you don't think about. And also the impact on all the players around. I thought that that was great. So maybe my review here is longer than the actual podcast, but I liked it. Thumbs up for me. Thumbs up for me, too. The one thing I would say is I don't know how the LAS is going to keep turning around these like sort of longer form audio documentary things and have them be like weekly releases on the radio and in the podcast feed. That's tough, especially after they just like laid off a bunch of people on their podcast teams. I'm just going to say it like it's tough. And I think this podcast, if it suffers from anything, it does sound like it was put together a little bit quickly. That's how it sounds to me. And that's not a knock because it sounds good. It's not bad in any way. But if you're going to put out things that you want a lot of people to hear, and I do think a lot of people should hear reporting like this, it should sound like a little bit more produced. That's like sort of my one knock on this is it could have gone a little deeper. Each episode was really constrained by it all them all having to be the same length. And that fourth episode, I guess, because there had to be four or something, was basically just an interview bonus episode and felt to me, it felt kind of discordant with the rest of the content. I mean, the mommy stuff was interesting, but you're right. It should have been peppered throughout. But for a story that's essentially kind of about, you know, racial dynamics and, and sort of the dynamics of the times and, and, you know, kind of, sort of the legal implications and the consequences of this woman's actions, skipping over into this like mommy stuff felt just sort of like a step sideways. So, yeah. So there was there's sort of like a beat there that I didn't quite get. So, yeah, thumbs up for me, but not perfect. It was an imperfect thumbs up for Imperfect Paradise, I guess I can say. But, yeah, that's where I land on it. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The crime of the week. It's nearly Festivus. You have until Thursday to submit your gripe and grumbling to the Tampa Bay Times for their eighth annual airing of the grievances. The anti-holiday holiday was made famous in that Seinfeld episode where Kramer and George's father celebrate Festivus. Traditions include gathering around an aluminum pole, a dinner of meatloaf on a bed of lettuce, followed by feats of strength. But the highlight is the airing of grievances where partygoers can express their pet peeves and disappointments about the other guests. The newspaper promises again to run readers' Festivus annoyances. In the past, some of the complaints include... Why do they leave the stumps on romaine lettuce? Who keeps leaving unused time on the microwave? And those water bottles that are so thin, you crush them when you hold them. Panel, it's Festivus for the rest of us. What's your grievance for 2023? Lara Bricker, what's your grievance? That when you order appliances, they don't come pre-wired to just hook into the wall. Oh, yeah. yeah. It sounds like a, a recency bias grievance, yes. in my opinion. Also, I'm going to add a second grievance. Whoever the mad dog pooper is of Exeter, you need to stop. For real this time. Toby Ball, what's your grievance of 2023? 
Uh, I've got a grievance. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around the idea that there are water bottles that are so thin that you can't help but crush them. When yeah, you grab them. super loud the ones. ones <laughs> That's one of my grievances. <laughs> but my other grievance is no mind hunter. Oh, excellent point. What about you, Kevin Flynn? Yeah, yellow jackets. What the fuck? Uh, mine is. Where's my Dan Taberski podcast, people? Where's my Dan Taberski podcast? Mm. All right, that's going to do it for us, Laura Bricker. Folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, stop trying to install your own appliances. How can they find you on social media? At Laura Bricker on the Twitter. What about you, Toby Ball? Folks want to reach out to you and say, hi, Toby. How can they find you on social media? At Toby Ball NH. Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can you be found? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, and if you want to see photos of the dogs and everything, you can find me everywhere at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show everywhere, including YouTube, everywhere else, at Crime Writers Odd. And please, I very much encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Everyone there is rad, including all of the new people. You're also super rad just go to regular facebook page hit join the group there's a pinned post at the top we make it super easy get episodes early and ad free at patreon.com slash partners in crime media you'll also get all the other stuff we make back there our theme song was composed and performed by ty gibbons our line editor is the wonderful livy burdett the executive producer of this program is kevin p flynn this show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin also throws his hands in the air when he can't get Peking dumplings at 10 in the morning. Just want some crab rag go, goddammit! On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. So, so we can spoil the name of Lara's Hallmark movie, right? Yeah. What? It's Gross Point Brick. Gross Point Brick, yes. <laughs> or Bricker, excuse me, yeah. Um, also, no, if you- it's just Gross Point Brick. <laughs> Trademark Henry Lavoie.